The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. So we're going to go through the gospel of Luke. We've been going through it, well, for a week now. We're going to go through it for much longer than that, right? Uh, if you were paying attention as Eli was reading, uh, you found yourself still in the beginning, right? Who here loves Christmas, right? Lots of people, right? Okay, well... How about, we've heard of Christmas in July, right? I find that weird. I don't even understand it, right? Maybe you can explain it to me later. But how about Christmas in September? Because that's where we're at, right? And and by the way, each Christmas, uh, or let's say that time throughout the year, the world as a whole, I mean, not everybody, but in general, worships, not really, but recognizes Jesus and this woman who gave birth to the baby with the spikes coming out of his face, Mary who happened to be a virgin, right? And, and they set up nativity scenes. They set them up in their home. They set them up in their lawn. And they might not even love or recognize Jesus as their Lord and Savior, right? Nonetheless, listen, um, so the world does that. But l- let me tell you, uh, Jesus and, and Mary, Christmas, actually is a very controversial subject within the church and within the world. It, it's, made up, it's really made fun of throughout the world, if you pay attention, if you listen, right? It's even hotly debated within churches and even seminaries alike. They they point to the fact that the truth of a virgin giving birth to the God-man, Jesus, is so ridiculous, right? That there's just no way we could ever believe this. And so unfortunately, it becomes a place of debate and discussion. And, and a lot of people have just said, we can't do it. There's, people are just too intellectual for this. So we're just going to throw it in there with other myths, other legends, other fables, other folklores. And, and so listen to some of the quotes that come from people on this subject, right? This is kind of just setting up really where we're going within our text today. So Thomas Jefferson, in a letter to John Adams, here's what he said. He said, the day will come when the mystical generation of Jesus, by the supreme being as his father, in the womb of a virgin, will be classed with the fable of generation of Greek gods and goddesses. Here he's saying, he's saying it's ridiculous, and and there will come a day people will realize it's ridiculous, and it will finally go away. Um, There's a guy named Bishop Joseph Sprague. I don't expect that you know who he is. Uh, United Methodist Church. He said, it's a myth. The whole virgin birth is a myth. Um, There's another bishop named John Spong. Listen to what he said. In the time the virgin birth account will will, will join, I'm sorry, Adam and Eve and the story of the cosmic ascension as clearly recognized as mythical elements in our faith tradition whose purpose was not the described as a literal event. So he would say, it was never meant to be believed. It was never meant to be a literal thing happening in history. Two more. Uh, Theologian Raymond Brown, he says it's just folklore, right? By the way, these are people teaching seminary students how to pastor God's people with the word of truth that they don't believe, if you're paying attention. How about Larry King? You guys know that guy? Uh, He said, when asked, listen to this, this is great, last quote, Uh, when asked if he could interview anyone from all of history, he said, Jesus Christ. Uh, Okay, so he's he's paying attention. And what would you like to ask him, they said. King replied, I would like to ask him if he was indeed virgin born. The answer to that question would define history for me, he said. Well, he's right. 
In so many ways, he is right. That is a great question to ask. And so really that's, spoiler alert, it's true. It's true. We believe it, right? Because the word of God is true. We should not be surprised when, let's say, people who are not convinced of the gospel are questioning these things, right? So if you're, if you're out in the world and you're going to, let's say, a secular school, you shouldn't be surprised when people poke fun at it if you believe this. You should not be surprised by that. However, i got to tell you, it's very disheartening that pastors, and you go to a Christian college, and, and you go to seminary, and you're trying to learn about the Word of God, to bring the Word of God to bear on the lives of people of God, trusting the Spirit of God to do the mission of God, and they're saying, we can't believe that either. Why? Why would that happen? Well, i got to tell you, it's because roughly about a century ago, influential theologians began to doubt whether or not the virgin birth was actually true. You're like, this sounds like a lecture. Hang in there. We're going to get to preaching in just a moment. But I really want to set up why and where we're going, right? Why did they do that? Because they pointed to the virgin birth as superstition. Um, the, the intellectual, modern, secular people could never accept. So therefore, we have to change the truth. After all, we know there's no such thing, they would say, as a, as a baby being born by a virgin. They would say, that's impossible. So we just, we've got to change the narrative. Um, and so their conclusion would go like this. If Christianity was going to flourish in the new secular and very scientific age, it would need to get rid of these kinds of myths, right? That were an insult to our reason and intellect. That's, that's their conclusion, right? And, and they've worked hard. By the way, on the surface, that actually might sound reasonable. It might even sound like a really good idea. But if you look closely, I, I got to tell you, it doesn't do justice to the narrative that Luke's account is. And I'll tell you another thing it doesn't do. It doesn't work. Because churches across this particular nation who have watered down and abandoned the Word of God and changed the gospel are dying. And I say, praise God. The only churches that are actually standing in this particular moment are those who stand on the word of truth as infallible and, and without error, breathed out by God that is profitable for the changing and transformation of God's people. So we unashamedly believe all the Bible here. And, and, and I hope you do too. I hope you do too because, listen... If, if, you, you can't, if you reason that out, well, that could never happen. That's why it's called a miracle, right? That's why it's actually called a miracle, right? Then, okay, then what else unravels? Well, essentially everything, right? Jesus was just some good dude who just did some good things, and we should try to be like him. Not working, right? No, Jesus, man, th this man lived the life that we could never live. He is the perfect God, man. He willingly went to a cross to suffer the punishment that our sins deserve because he's a kind, loving, merciful God, and he receives that punishment in our place. He triumphantly resurrects from the grave, defeating Satan's sin and death, calls everyone everywhere to repent of their sins, to believe in this good news, and have eternal life in that moment and forevermore with him right? So if, if you doubt this, you're going to have to doubt everything. And before you know it, it all unravels. And before you know it, all you're left with is your own intellect. And that will not get you very far. I was at a Seton football game yesterday and they had, there's this one young man who had a shirt on and it said, do good, be good. This is the way of the future. I mean, sure, but it's, it's not going to work. It's, it's just not going to work. Why? Because we're corrupt. We need a savior. 
We need a Savior. You and I need Jesus. So let's look at Luke. That's introduction. All right, let's look at Luke. Luke 1, 26 through 29. We're just going to walk our way through this text. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth. Right? So, so Gabriel's busy. Elizabeth's been pregnant for six months. Now God sends him to another place, right? And to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and he said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. Inside your map, you'll notice there's, there's two points. Your first point is this. God gives grace to ordinary, sinful people in order to accomplish extraordinary things. Okay? That, that's, the, that's the picture. That's the point. Let's look at two things from that text. One, notice the humble setting. Notice the humble setting. Gabriel is putting in work here, right? He's sent from God to go to a town in Nazareth, right? In order to visit a very humble peasant girl, right? The village of Nazareth, um, if, if you've ever been there, you'll know is not that impressive. It's really not. You can go visit it today. But there's thousands of people there now. At that time, there definitely would not have been. At most, probably 500, and I think even that is probably giving it too much credit. It was really a nowhere town, right? So if you have Israel here, and, and you got Jerusalem here, and the temple here, all of, all of Nazareth would have been up here, okay? And, and it's hill country. It's kind of like where the rednecks go, right? Even though it's north, it would have been like West Virginia for us, even though it's creeping up. I shouldn't say that. You're probably from West Virginia, and I just offended you. <laughs> I didn't mean to. I'm just trying to paint a picture. It's the hill country, right? If you're from West Virginia, I love West Virginia, and so does God. All right. It was located between two port cities, Tyra and Sidon, right? What was it crawling with? It was crawling actually with Gentiles and Romans. Seems like an odd place for an angel to go and to bring good news. This is way different, way different than what Gabriel did with Zechariah and with Elizabeth. Where did he go there? He went into the temple, right? He was right on the cusp of the holies of holies. That makes sense. If God's going to intervene, if he's going to step into history, if he's going to do this thing, we expect he comes to this place in Jerusalem, not Nazareth. No way. In John's gospel, uh, Nathaniel said this. He said, when, when speaking about Jesus, he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You may have towns around where you grew up that, that were like that, right? I won't name any more. I've already blew it with one, um, with a state. But, but you and I know that. There's certain towns or certain cities that they get a bad rap. Well, that was Nazareth, right? And that, that question, can anything good come out of Nazareth, might seem like an odd question. But can I tell you, it reveals a lot about the Jewish, let's say, perception of this little ghetto town. And who does he go to? He goes to a humble servant right? Notice, Mary, Mary would have definitely been a poor peasant girl. There were no rich people, no affluent people living in Nazareth. She would have probably been somewhere between the age of 12 and 18, but most would guess between 12 and 14. Most would guess. We don't know for sure. Now imagine that, right? Imagine being 12, 13, 14, 15 years old, right? And yeah, I just saw a bunch of ladies' eyes go, Poof. Right? They were like, whoa. Um, she's betrothed. What does that mean? It's engaged only more serious. 
a lot more serious, right? Like, so like, there's, there's like wimpy decaf coffee. That's what we would Americans call engaged in our society, right? She's a four shot of espresso. Like, you know, like somebody had to pay a price. The dad probably did. If you end this thing, it's like divorce and it's really going to be a bad thing. To the point, if it was finished because you had an affair or were unfaithful, it could lead to that woman's death. Okay, so she's betrothed, um, but, she's, but she's, she's preparing for the wedding day and the day that they consummate this, this marriage, right? And so someone shows up, the angel Gabriel, and he says this. So what, listen, Mary, what do you do with Mary? <laughs> Within church traditions, can I just say there's, there's a lot of error when it comes to Mary. Um, I know we're in a, a very heavy Catholic city, very heavy, right? And, and listen, you may be Catholic. We have a lot of, let's say, Catholics who are, are here and following Christ in this church. So you may be a saved man or woman who loves Jesus, and that's the tradition you grew up in. So I'm not picking on Catholics, but I am going to say we got to learn from the Bible, not tradition. Okay, so it's real important that, that we have right thinking, and the Bible teaches what is right. Well, the Catholic Church gets a little wonky, especially Roman Catholic, when it comes to Mary. They would say she was sinless. Mm, not true. Mary desperately needed a Savior. Mary desperately needed, just like you and I, someone to come and to pay for her sins. They would also say that she remained a virgin forever. That's also not true, because Jesus had brothers and sisters, and they did not come in the way that he came. They would go as far to say that she's a mediator between God and man. There's one mediator, the man Christ Jesus, whom we can go to the Father, and, and he's it. There's no one else. We don't pray to saints. We don't pray to Mary. Mary would be thoroughly offended at that thought. Thoroughly offended at that thought, right? Um, but then they would go as far to say she died, she was resurrected, glorified, and taken bodily into heaven. You might be thinking, do they really teach that? Well, they don't always teach it, but it is in their teachings, and it's just wrong. Um, I got to tell you, when I was in Israel, uh, there was a painting. It was the most blasphemous painting I'd ever seen in my entire life at a particular Roman Catholic church in the heart of Jerusalem. And you've got, you've got a picture of this old guy. We'll say he was God the Father. You've got baby Jesus, right? Spikes coming off his face. You've got the picture of a dove, which was probably representing the Holy Spirit. And guess what they're all doing? Crowning Mary. That is the response you should have. So I don't think we're in error of doing anything like that here. But you know what I think Protestant churches do? They're in error of ignoring Mary. And I think that dishonors God right? So what do we want to do? What do we want to do with Mary? That's the question. I think we want to think biblically about her, right? Isn't that what we want to do? So let's keep looking at the Bible. Notice in verse 28 how Gabriel greets her. Oh, favored one. Boy, that, that word should stand out to you. The Lord is with you. Wouldn't that be great? Angel shows up. Hey, oh, favored one, the Lord is with you. Can I tell you something? If you're in Christ, you don't need an angel to show up and say that to you because God has said it. He has shown it, and he's even given you the gift of the Holy Spirit. If you're trusting in Jesus Christ, he's, not, he's with you in a way that he wasn't with Mary in that moment. Man, God is with you. You're never alone. You might feel alone. 
You might feel very alone. You might feel not seen, but there's never a time you're alone. And oh, favored one, favored means grace. And if you're in Christ, you have much grace poured out on you in a way that, that the divine lives in broken, sinful, but redeemed humans, right? What a beautiful thing. But here, we see the grace of God is on this young woman. Grace, by the way, we, we throw that word around a lot. It's just unmerited, or I would even say demerited favor. You do not deserve what's about to happen, right? You, you go up and you punch dad in the nose, and what's he give you? An ice cream cone, a hug, and he tells you he loves you. You do not deserve that. That's grace, right? Um, it's a blessing, and we receive it despite the fact that we don't deserve it. So don't make the mistake of thinking that Mary lived in such a way that God was seeing she was worthy of this gift it wasn't like that at all. Mary, you and I, we need much grace. And if you're in Christ, you have much grace. But make no mistake about it, she was indeed blessed. Listen to this quote by a guy named J.C. Ryle. He says, No woman was ever so highly honored as the mother of our Lord. It is evident that one woman only out of countless millions of the human race could be the means by where God could be manifest in the flesh. And the Virgin Mary had the mighty privilege of being just that one. So just because others have thought too much of her, let's not make the mistake of being a people who think too little of her. Right? We don't, we don't want to think rightly about this woman. So, so no doubt she's honored, but don't get it messed up. Mary was an ordinary woman who needed grace. Right? She was chosen by God to be used in a very extraordinary way, but God didn't choose her because she was worthy. That's works. That's law. That's what people think. If I do good, if I be good, God will do this thing for me. He owes me. I'll make myself worthy. If that's what you want, you're going to live a very depressed life. I mean that. Because when you're doing it right, what's going to happen, you're going to think, man, God owes me. And when suffering comes, even though you're doing all the things right, you're going to be very confused. Why isn't God rewarding the thing that I'm doing? But then you could be living crazy, right? And now you're going to be depressed. Why? Because you think it's up to you. That's how religion works, by the way. Religion works when I'm doing it well, I'm full of pride. When I blow it, I'm despairing. The gospel works like this. I don't deserve his grace even on my best day. And it brings about humility of following him, trusting him. And so I don't need to feel all puffed up. And when I blow it, I don't need to despair because Christ is with me. He's for me. He'll never leave me. Do you see the difference? Um, so, so like all of us, like all of us, God didn't choose Mary because she was worthy. If you're sitting here and you're trusting in Jesus, praise God, a miracle happened. God didn't choose you because you th he thought you were worthy or even because he thought, well, she'll choose me back. He'll choose me back. No, like all of us, she was very unworthy of Jesus. And yet she has great worth because of Christ. Every human has great worth, by the way. Make no mistake about it. The Imago Dei. It just means that humans are made in the image of God, therefore they have intrinsic value. You've never met an unimportant human being because they, all, they are all made in God's image. And therefore, we ought to be a people who love, serve humans. Why? Because they're the most precious thing you're going to find on this earth, right? And, and God has shown that in the gospel of grace. 
But that's how grace works. Listen to 1 Corinthians 1, 26 through 29. Paul says this to to the church. He says, consider your calling, brothers and brothers and sisters. Consider the fact that God chose you to be a saved human being, right? Not many of you were wise, according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. Why? So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. It's about Him. Oh, how many times people go to a church and they they will hear preachers stand up there and talk about as though it's all about you. It's not. It might feel good for a moment. It does nothing good for you. It's all about God. It's all about Christ. And that's good news for you and I because we need God. We're not God. You and I can't even manage our lives on best days, right? Try to manage the universe and any other universes that are outside of this universe and all the space, time, places at every moment. We can't do it, right? We need grace, and that's the beauty of the gospel. Um, Don't miss the point. That God skipped over uh, Judea. He skipped over Jerusalem. He skipped over the temple, which was the most holy place in Israel, to deliver the gospel, the good news, to a despised people in a despised town. Don't don't miss it. We've titled uh, Luke, this whole series, A Feast for Failures. You're like, really? Yeah, we did. You're going to see why. Because Jesus is going to break bread with everybody. Oh, and here, spoiler alert. Everyone is a failure according to the law. The difference was there were people, sinners and prostitutes and all these different people who understood they have failed according to the law and he goes to them and they receive this good news because they know they're hopeless apart from someone coming to save them. But he breaks bread, guess what? With the the same people, only Pharisees and Sadducees, but they don't see that they failed. They think they've done it all right. He has dinner with almost equal times. When I go through the book of Luke, every time it's about the same amount. But it's only people who realize I can't measure up. I need a savior that actually received the bread and the wine that he's laying out, which is ultimately a picture of himself, right? So so we need grace. God comes to needy people. He comes to those who realize without him they cannot make it. Those who acknowledge their weakness and their spiritual lack. Right? And that's the picture that we get here when he goes to Nazareth. The incarnation, salvation, resurrection is not for the proud or the self-sufficient. That's good news for me. It's really good news for me. Right? Because if I have to work my way to get to a point to receive what God's offering, I know I'm not going to be able to do it. And if you're honest, you can't either. Or you just don't understand the perfection of God. Right? So let's continue. Look at Luke 1, 30 through 38. We're just going to walk our way through the rest of the narrative, and then we're going to really we're going to think hard upon what, what is God saying to us today in this moment, okay? So let's pick it back up. The angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? Pause. If you remember, Zechariah asked a question, and what happened? 
no more speaky for you, right? She asks a question, and, and that doesn't happen. And, and, and you've got to wonder, why is that? If you're reading, if you're paying attention, that question has to come to your mind. I think the, the reason, and it's, it's, I think if you think about it, it's very easy to see. Mary's not doubting. Zechariah was doubting as a priest in the moment talking to an angel. Mary's not doubting, but her question's more logistical. I mean, imagine, she's a small-town girl. She's like, I don't know how this stuff works, right? She's not even a biologist, right? She's not in the Supreme Court, but she gets it, right? Generally, something has to happen for me to get pregnant. But here we are. I know that hasn't happened, so could you help me out, angel? Could you fill in the blank, right? See, she's wanting to understand. She understood science, I think that people, especially within the high intellectual world, they think she was some Neanderthal who could never have understood this. No, she's a bright girl. She's understanding how these things work. How's that going to happen, angel? Listen to what he said. It's not all that helpful for her, probably. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. Got all my answers. She really didn't, right? There's still much mystery here. But, but please don't miss the beauty here. What, look at the beauty. The, we see the, the triune God that we worship here. Right? We see that the, the Holy Spirit of God, He's going to come upon you. Think about in Genesis when creation's happening. You have the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters. Right? It, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. You can't help but think about the cloud that came down and was work, you know, with the people of God. The Shekinah glory coming down. It's going to overshadow you. And therefore, okay, so that's the Father. The child will be born. And that's Jesus. We worship one God, three distinct persons. Father, Son, Spirit. Right? One God, three distinct persons. And, and listen, who is this Jesus? If you're familiar with Genesis 3, he's the promised head crusher. This is the seed of the woman who's going to come, and he's going to have a wound happen to him, but he's going to inflict a mortal wound on that serpent. Essentially, this is new creation. God has promised this back in the garden, and he's saying, the time has come. The time has come. So it's, it's the dawning of joy. Imagine being this woman. Imagine hearing this news. She doesn't understand it all, but, but let's continue. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. Listen, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, oh man, give us this posture, Lord. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. There's a lot to unpack there, but listen, Mary was told that she was going to have a baby boy, and she was commanded to name him Jesus, right? Believe it or not, Jesus was actually a pretty common name at that time. At that time, it just meant Yahweh saves, God saves, right? Um, you may be familiar with this popular Christmas song, Mary, did you? No. What do you think? Well, I think she knew a lot, actually. Right? Why do I think that? Let's look at the text again. <laughs> right? He shall be great. Okay, maybe that could mean anything. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. Mm, that's pretty distinct. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. He shall reign in the house of Jacob. Here's a key word. Forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. Right? I think she had a clue. 
I think she had a really good clue. She might not have understood everything. This child, by the way, don't miss this one. The child to be born will be called holy, the son of God. Mary, did you know? She knew. She knew. I think it's safe to say she knew. She didn't understand everything, but she knew the intricate details of, you know, she didn't understand the conception, how that stuff's going to work. She didn't understand probably the mystery of the cross. She didn't understand the resurrection. She didn't understand all those, that, but she did. No, make no doubt about it. She understood this. The, the child I'm being given is happening in a miraculous way, and this is the Messiah who's come to redeem Israel. She understood that. Why does this matter? Well, that's the second point. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, gospel just means good news, right? The gospel must come in a way that only God can accomplish in order to reveal his miraculous power to do the impossible. Why? So that he might get all the glory. He might get all the glory. That's why I didn't go to, to, to Jerusalem and do the thing. Like, why not, why not pick one of the Pharisees' daughters? Of, uh, she's pre preeminent. And of course that would make sense. I'm going to go to this obscure girl, to this obscure people, to this people that has never even actually been mentioned in the Old Testament. Nazareth was never mentioned in the Old Testament at all. Why? Because you may see very unseen to the world, but your God sees you, and this is how God works. He doesn't need you to be great. He himself is great. He's great. Pressure off. Oh, and that's so good, man. I see, I myself have done it. I see so many other people just exhausting themselves, trying to be great instead of trusting the one who's great. Pressure off. This is why faith is needed. She didn't know everything. That's why faith is needed. And it's clear that God had given her much grace to believe. You, you and I, listen, if you're a Christian, we're a people of faith. You're saved by grace alone, by faith alone, and in Christ alone. That's it. You try to add anything to that, to that truth, and what you get is not the gospel. It's by grace. That's it, right? Not, by the way, not a blind trust. Oh, I've, I've heard that from a lot of Christians. But a well-informed faith. You should seek to know the things you can know so that you can root and ground yourself in the truth of God's Word. You ought to want to know. You ought to think hard. You ought to study. But at the end of the day, it's not your great intellect. It's trusting a great God. And so you could have the faith of a little baby. And that's sufficient. Mustard seed. You're going to hear that over and over as we continue through the Gospel of Luke. However, notice Gabriel's parting words had to have been sufficient, for nothing will be impossible with God. <laughs> Nothing's too hard for God, Mary. Right? How's it going to be? I'm going to give you all the details. This has got to be sufficient for you. Nothing will be impossible with God. And think about it. She knew her story would be questioned. I mean, just think about this. Let your imagination go a little bit, right? You, 12, 13, 14, 15-year-old, virgin girl, you're going to be pregnant. With, with who? Um, the God-man. Oh, okay, cool. Um, and I know you're, you're, you're betrothed. Uh, so so what, what do you think Joseph's going to think? Well, we can actually know some of it from other Gospels. We're not going to go into all that right now. But my guess is he's, he's probably thinking, well, I don't know if there was a Maury, or like Maury back then, right? Like he's got to be making a phone call. Who's the baby's daddy? Like, Imagine hearing that. She comes up to him. Hey, Joseph, just want you to know I'm, uh, I'm pregnant. 
uh-oh, that's a problem, because he knows how this works too, and that hasn't happened yet, right? And we're betrothed, we're supposed to be getting married. What do you mean, Mary, that you're pregnant? Oh, don't worry, uh, an angel told me that, that I'm pregnant with God. Yeah, his son, yeah, it's all fine. I, I, I've been true and honest with you. He needed a little reassurance. He got more than a paternity test. He got more than more. He actually, in, we know from the Gospel of Matthew, he got an angel that came along and said, listen, bro, it's true. Okay, right? But imagine, okay, so he gets an angel. He gets a revelation that it's true. But how about her friends, right? They were blowing up social media. Did you hear Mary's pregnant? She thinks she's pregnant with God. What a crazy, she says she's still a virgin. Yeah, right. You think she got scorned? Think she got shamed? I mean, you got to think about this. When she's saying, let it be according to your word, I'm your servant, she's not just saying yippee skippy. She knows she's going to be mocked. She knows she's going to be like thought to be a liar, she, unfaithful, all the things that are coming. And yet, by grace, and she had to be full of it, she says, let it be according to your word, I am your servant. Oh, I've been praying all week that God would give me that heart. I've been praying all week that God would give us as a church body that heart. And can I tell you right now, if by God's grace and by his spirit, you have that heart, that is the posture of a disciple, right? And if this church had seven, ten 12, 14, 15 people that had that heart, you could turn the city upside down, I promise you, by the power of God's Spirit. And so, we, if you would, join me in praying for that throughout this week and throughout our time. She would be slandered. She'd be shamed. She, not only that, but she had the daunting privilege of raising Jesus, who is God, fully and fully man. Now, you want to talk about pressure. Right? How do you correct Jesus? I mean, you might be thinking, well, he never did anything that needed correction. Well, he never sinned. He never sinned. But my guess is he stretched the boundaries. Have you ever thought about Jesus losing front teeth? He had to do that. He was fully human, right? right? And Mary being like, oh, come on, Jesus. I told you, don't go over there, right? Oh, okay, mom. He's perfectly obedient. Like, he would do it. But could you imagine? What if she corrected him? for saying he did something he didn't do. He, doesn't, he never sinned. You're, you're wrong, Mary. Right? She's nursing Jesus, right? Giving life to him by nursing him. And he's the one who upholds the universe by the word of his power and has created and knitted Mary in her mother's womb and is upholding her while she's holding him. Yeah. Let your imagination think. She's nursing the one who created and sustains all things, including her. Yet, can I tell you something? We have a lot in common with her, right? It, at, at times, each one of us will join her and say, how will this be? How will this be? The time around us, the, the situation around us seems so dark. How will this be? We're going to seek, Lord, oh God, we're going to go and we're going to seek to plant a church in Greensburg. There's all seven of us, two teens, and there's a pandemic. Let's rock and roll. I had a lot of people say, how will that be? Well, that's a good question. The answer is nothing's impossible with God. Nothing's impossible with God. But... It, <laughs> But we shouldn't be so trite and quick to run there, right? Because think about it, especially when you look around and you see people you love strung out on heroin. 
You love them. And they're hurting with so many addictions. You look around and you see so many marriages that are they're just in disarray. They're in disaster. They're one step away from throwing in the towel and just being done. And then you just watch the grenade go off in the family. The shrapnel hits everybody and you try to pick up the pieces. How will this be, Lord? When you see God's people's love grow cold as they start to wander away from the truth and away from his people into just depravity. Lord, how, how will it be when, when, when you see health challenges? When you see limited finances and inflation keeps going up and bills aren't getting paid? Lord, how will it be when you're stuck in a dead-end job and you hate getting up every day, but you got to do it? When you see children who are supposed to love the Lord, but they're just all over the map and anxiety and depression and on and on, doesn't it feel at times it seems so impossible? How will it be? How will it be? How will you do this? Question, seriously, you've you got to engage the living God with the living word. Right? It's not, not just some like little entertainment moment. Ask yourself right now, what impossibility are you confronted with right now? You personally. right? Uh, have you landed in a spiritual desert and you see nowhere out? And you're afraid to talk about it because you don't want people to say, oh, come on, just read your Bible more. Right? Okay, tried that. Thanks. Do, do people you love reject Christ and then not only that, they just will not talk to you about the truth of the gospel? Right? Um, are tensions getting worse around the home? Maybe at work? Right? Are you facing another year of chronic pain? Uh, is there some unresolved conflict within your family that just rips out your heart every day as you think about it? Are you, are you despairing over unmet dreams um, for a spouse or for a child? I mean, the list goes on and on and on when we look at things and we say, is this year two? Is this year 10? Is this year 20? How long has it been since you're starting to begin to wonder, like, God, do you even hear me? Do you even see me? Am I, is this real? Have you ever been there? You might be there now. What, what are we to do in moments like that? Well, one is we're to remember that God is with us and therefore that makes all the world a difference because he is the God of impossible. There's hope because Jesus, listen, because of Jesus and by God's grace, we actually have the ability to run to the throne of grace, crawl, maybe even just lay there and cry at the throne of grace and know that we can be expectant and we can be hopeful because of his steadfast love, his never-ending mercies. They're new every morning. And here, once again, in the heart of, of just a quiet, still moment, nothing is impossible for me. Now, that doesn't mean he's going to answer every prayer that you might pray in that way. God does answer all prayers, by the way. Pay attention, because you might be like, oh, wait, I'm out of here. You should be if I said however you want them to be. But he answers them in yes, no, and not now. But you can trust him. Why? Because the most important things have been cared for. Look, look at Isaiah 41, 10, 13 with me. You can just listen as I read or make a note if you want to look later. But it says, fear not, for I am with you. I want you to notice the, the command and then the promise. You need these promises in your life. Fear not. Why? Well, because I'm with you. Be not dismayed. Why? For I am your God. I will strengthen you. Promise. I will help you. Promise. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Promise. For I, the Lord your God, hold your right hand. It is I who say to you, fear not, for I am the one who helps you. 
Have you, have you given up thinking that he helps you? Have you given up thinking he's forgotten you? Romans 8.28, often misquoted and misunderstood, but that doesn't mean it's any less true, says this, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. When it says all things work together for good, it does not mean that there will be lollipop, skittles, and sunshine in your life every day so that you can just skip around like a Care Bear shooting things out your belly. Doesn't mean that. What it does mean that no matter what's happening in your life, if you are in Christ, if you've been called according to his purposes and you love him, he sees you and he bends everything towards your ultimate good to be more like Christ. He's committed to your salvation. He's committed to your sanctification. Fancy word for becoming less like your old self and becoming more like Christ. He doesn't waste anything. There's not one ounce of suffering happening in your life right now that he's at waste. He will redeem it. He will bring beauty from ashes. You can trust him. He is the God of the impossible. Notice, and, and I'm, I'm encouraging you right now to join Mary. And, and you got to do it. I don't mean like you got to do it. But this is the heart of the disciple when it says, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Is that your heart posture? Is that how you come to the Word of God? Is that how you come to the throne of grace? Let it be according to your Word. I am your servant. Is that? I hope it is. If not, ask God to give you a new heart. Ask Him to give you that desire and then seek Him and, and seek to, to really worship the Lord with palms up, knees bent, surrendered to God, the God of the impossible, trusting Him and asking Jesus for help. And he'll meet you in that space. He will help you. you. I hope you realize you and I can do nothing, nothing apart from God. We need him for every breath we take. But we see things like this all the time. We just think, well, it's just normative. No, it's really not. You and I need the God of impossible to be intervening in our absolute life every moment of every day. So, once again, what burden, obstacle, or fear is in front of you? What is it? And I want you to be reminded that there's nothing too hard for God. Be reminded of that today. Our God is the God of the impossible. He's a promise-keeping God. So what promises, and this is where we finish out, because I, I want you to, to go from the moment of thinking about the things that caused me stress and all these little impossibilities that you just put in my head that I was hoping to come here and forget about for just a minute. I want you to think about promises we're still waiting on. You ready? How about this? The promise that one day Jesus will make all things new. Have you given up on that? Have you given up on the fact? That's a, it's guaranteed. He will do this, right? How about the fact that one day we will be as lovely and as loving as Jesus? Have you ever thought about that? Like, just, you ever find it hard to love people at times? Guilty. All right, Gabe, my man. Listen, they all have their hands up. Right? One day we will be lovely and as loving as Christ. One day it will be impossible for us to sin. One day we will no longer be selfish. One day that we will no longer be self-loathing, bitter, and unforgiving. Right? One day, one day we'll never get our feelings hurt again. 
right? Because there's no more sin. One day, we're going to quit insisting on always being right, even when we're not. One day, we'll quit demanding more of God than what he's given, and we won't settle for less than what he desires for us. One day, that will happen. One day, we'll think of others more highly than we think of ourselves. One day, we will be free, fully, finally, forever. If you're in Christ, you're free now, but in so many ways, you have things that entangle you. But there will be a day where that's no longer the case. What you believe by faith will be sight, right? The already but not yet. I'm already free but not yet. There's things that entangle me. Well, don't give up hope. Know that he's still at work in you and through you. And so listen, if you're like, well, I just don't even feel like I can hear God in that way. Well, I want to remind you of something that's in the word as you actively wait. Zephaniah 3.17 is probably one of my favorite texts in the Bible. And it's a promise. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I wonder what his voice sounds like. My guess is it's spectacular, stunning, in words I can't think of right now. But that's a promise. You might not be able to hear it right now. You might feel like, man, the Lord, I just can't hear from him at all. But don't quit. Keep pressing into Christ. Keep pressing on. Why? Because of the promises of God, your future is bright because of what Christ has done in his life, death, and resurrection. Therefore, you should be of the most greatest cheer in that moment, right? So we're going to finish with one last quote. Ready? I love this quote. John Newton. I don't have time to talk about who he is. Look him up. Here's what he said. He said, suppose a man was going to New York City, so picture this, to take position, or I'm sorry, possession of a large estate, and his carriage should break down a mile before he got to the city, which obliged him to walk the rest of the way. What a fool we would think of him if we saw him wringing his hands, blubbering out all the remaining mile, my carriage is broken, my carriage is broken. You picking up what, what that, that quote's laying down? You and I are the people headed to, to grab the greatest estate ever, right? It's, it's life with God forever, right? He is the treasure, by the way. It's not about streets of gold. I'm sure it's cool, but it's really just asphalt, right? It's not that impressive. It's that you get God without sin fully, finally, forever. That's the possession. And we are, we're headed there. If you're in Christ, every one of you are headed there right now in this moment, Right? And yet, afflictions come, and before you know it, we're not even thinking about where we're going. We're not even thinking about our future. We're looking at our navel, and we're, we're blubbering all the way. I just can't believe it, right? Like, I've been there. I'm not making fun of you. I just want you to know. I'm right on that same trail with you until the Lord reminds me in that moment, whatever it is, if you had to crawl naked across glass to the finish line, it's worth it. Why is it worth it? Because you, if you're in Christ, greatest problem has been resolved. What is your greatest problem? Your greatest problem was the wrath of God because of your sin. You and I have offended a holy and righteous, just God. And what we deserve is his wrath in a real place called hell for eternity. And yet Christ in his kindness came in the most humble of ways. Think about just for a minute how, how does the divine enter that which is not holy, which is Mary. It's a miracle. But why did he come? 
make no mistake about it, Jesus came to live the life you and I could not live in order to die the death that you and I deserve to die because of our sin. His wrath burned hot against us, but his mercy is more. So he sent his son to take our place as the lamb of God who substitutes himself and he takes upon the wrath of God in our place and he gives us his perfect life, his perfect righteousness. We receive that by faith. And so we go from sinner under the wrath of God to born again child of God who's an heir of all that Christ has purchased for us. And he showed it and proved it when he triumphantly resurrected from the grave, defeating Satan, sin, and death. And in that moment, my friends, the most impossible thing happened. Sinful humans could draw near to a God and receive nothing but grace, nothing but mercy, nothing but steadfast love. And if that's you, if you're in Christ, you repented of your sins, you trust in Jesus, your future's bright. It's bright. So be of good cheer. Quit wringing your hands. Seek to love God. Seek to love the people he's put in your life. Seek to love this city. Because there's many people, their greatest problem has not been resolved. So let us just, Lord, like Mary, oh God, I'm a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Magnify yourself through me and in me. Trust him. He sees you, he loves you, he's for you, he's not abandoned you, you can trust him. If you can trust him with your salvation, you can trust him with whatever impossibility you think you're facing right now. He's worthy, let's worship him. Will you join me in prayer? Father, thank you. Thank you for this, this beautiful plan of redemption. Thank you that from even before sin entered the cosmos and fractured it, you had a plan to send your son to die in the place of sinners to bring about salvation and forgiveness. God, we ask right now that if anyone's far from you, not convinced of the gospel, the Holy Spirit, that you would testify to the, the word that was preached, to the good news that was preached, and you would, you would lay heavy upon them their sin and that they would see the only way to... to, to To be out from under your wrath is to cast their sin upon you and to cast themselves upon the mercy seat of God receive forgiveness of sins. Grace upon grace. And then, God, for your, your people, for those who love you and are called according to your purposes, give us a heart like Mary to say whatever it is, let it be according to your word. We are servants of God. May you be magnified in our presence and in this place and in this city, we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.